Gee, it's a strange time, isn't it? A really strange time. But this is such a good moment to connect with each other, even though it feels strange connecting this way. But we're not just connecting with each other, we're connecting with God as we've heard his word read and now I hope uh, trying to explain it well. And I want to encourage you to put aside, especially now, all other distractions. See if you can turn the other notifications off, put your phone on silence. Uh, avoid, avoid the things that will distract you from what God might say to you today. Uh, and let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, speak to us now through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to trust you more and to produce the deeds that reflect that faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen. And I should have said earlier that as well as the adult download at home, Megan Gates, our children's ministry trainee, has produced such a good handout for the kids at home. And I notice there's certain words that you've got to listen out for and see how many times I say them. And uh, there's a chance on page two to write your own five-finger prayer. So I think that's just wonderful. And thanks, Megan, for that. Something for everyone there and even the adults have got to fill in the blanks on the little sermon outline in your uh, order of service today. In his book, River Out of Eden, A Darwinian View of Life, the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins said, I'm quoting, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it nor any justice. There is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil or good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And I suppose he'd say that's how viruses work today. But everyone asks, why me? Why my loved one? Why cancer? Why that car crash? Why does God let this pandemic happen? That sense of suffering being unfair runs so very deep. And maybe it's a black mark against God. Yet people forget that if God doesn't exist, they have no right to be upset about suffering because blind chance has no sense of justice. Without God, there's no logical reason to say it's unfair. And so atheism provides, fails to provide much hope here. By contrast, today I'm suggesting that Jesus is calling to us. He's calling to us even when we suffer. Perhaps especially when we suffer, he calls. And he certainly offers hope. And our passage today, uh, Luke 13, illustrates all this. Firstly, it tells us that Jesus is calling to us in our pain that's the first blank. He calls to us in our pain. Look at Luke 13 and verses 1 to 5. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
As I said, uh, question, uh, human suffering often raises questions like these. Uh, questions of fairness, whether someone did something to deserve it, and, and where's God in all this? And Jesus does say there's a message for everyone when we see people suffering. It's a wake-up call. And we'll finish, actually, with a very personal application of that at the end. But C.S. Lewis put it famously, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pains. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, it's so easy to ignore God when things are going well. So God allows pain to shatter the illusion that all is well in our world. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Our world is broken. And behind the brokenness lies human sin. That's the Bible's big picture explanation for pain. The Bible says we all suffer because of sin. Sometimes the connection is obvious. In verse 1 here, the Roman governor of Judea butchered some Galileans in the middle of their worship. Here, some humans suffer because another human sinned. And by the way, this fits the other historical sources that confirm Pilate's cruelty. It's obvious evil. And I'm so sorry for you if you have suffered because of another person's evil. But at the start of Luke 13 here, Jesus twice says we all have sin to repent of, to turn away from. And at the macro level, the Bible makes it clear that God puts pain into the world to show us something has gone badly wrong. Genesis 3 says human suffering is a result of human rebellion against God. Genesis 3 from verse 17 to Adam God said because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food of it from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the Bible says, like Adam, we all reject God's word and try to run our own life our own way without him. And death, spiritual, physical, and finally eternal, is his ultimate punishment for sin. But right now, those thorns and thistles, the pain, lets us know in advance that something is wrong. You know, this even explains natural disasters. Perhaps verse 4's tower in Siloam fell by engineering negligence. But maybe it was an earthquake. Well, the Bible suggests that even natural disasters remind us that capital S sin has put the whole world badly out of kilter so that if you like is a biblical philosophy of pain but be careful in applying it because Luke 13 also shows us secondly that Jesus is calling us not to blame don't go blaming when someone else is suffering that's not usually the time to dump a theology of pain on them 
Friends, the Bible resists neat explanations for pain at the personal level. When people informed him of this atrocity against the Galileans, look again how verse 2 shows Jesus responding. Do you think they were any worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And he then raises that tower collapse in verse 4 and again asks, do you think they were any more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And twice he answered, verse 3, verse 5, I tell you, no. He denied they'd done anything specially bad to deserve their fate. God was not sending a specific message. And we must not think that the Chinese or the Italians or the Americans are somehow worse because it seems they're suffering more badly from coronavirus. Nor even to say their political leadership must somehow be more corrupt or ill-guided or their health systems are worse. Look, there may be lessons to learn, but we just don't know that much. And certainly not for personal individuals. I understand that the Hindu view of karma says that if you're suffering now, well, in this reincarnation, God must be punishing you for sins in a past life. And, and sadly, I understand that can even sometimes encourage a blame the victim mentality where you don't help them so they can work their suffering off. Jesus rejects such speculations. Sadly, there are even perversions of Christianity which teach such lies. Sometimes the so-called prosperity gospel says that if you're not healed of your cancer, it must be because of some unconfessed sin in your life or because you lack enough faith. Well, how dare they? So my first point was that God calls to us in pain, but my second point is how Jesus says when disaster strikes, it's not a time to blame the victims as worse than others. Unless we have a specific message directly from God, we should not assume God is trying to tell us something specific each time we get hurt. In fact, mostly we're never told why we suffer. Job was never told. The great sufferer in the Old Testament, God's deeper purpose to answer Satan's cynicism that people only serve God for the good times, that deeper purpose was only revealed to the audience reading. Job was just so angry because he didn't know the reason, he just knew that God was in final control. And yet though he was in anguish, he did refuse to curse God. And to answer Job's complaint, God simply asked Job whether he could run the universe himself. And so the Bible says we will not normally know the reasons for particular suffering. So let's avoid the blame game that does seem to come so instinctively to humans. But thirdly, Jesus is also calling us to help. That's why I included verses 10 to 15 about the crippled woman. On a Sabbath... Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. 
Then he put his hand on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So while the others argued the religious toss over whether or not to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus used his power from God and healed the woman. Now, we can't perform miracles on request like God's son did on earth. But the example of Jesus, the healer, has inspired Christians to innumerable ministries of mercy. The friend of lepers, the defender of the outcast. The respected American sociologist, Professor Rodney Stark, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, asked how Christianity dislodged Greco-Roman paganism to become the dominant faith or religion of Western civilization. His answer was largely that the Christians outloved the pagans. They adopted unwanted babies, which the Romans sometimes left exposed to die. And when plague struck their cities, instead of fleeing to their country retreats, they stayed and nursed their sick neighbours, whether Christian or not. Such care actually meant Christian communities had a better chance to survive. And it also meant that the pagans who'd received such care were persuaded to consider the claims of Christ who'd inspired such acts of mercy. 200 years ago, it was the Christian MP, William Wilberforce, fighting the slave trade, as we know, but also campaigning for better conditions for child labourers in England's factories, setting up orphanages, helping found the RSPCA. Of course, atheists can be kind and do good things. That's the common grace of our common humanity with them but I'm not sure they've got a deep philosophical reason that sustains it. In fact, evolution's survival of the fittest turned into an ethic can be brutal. We just give up on the elderly, for example, if resources are short. May God forbid. But right here, this example of Jesus helping the crippled lady suggests this. Before asking lots of philosophical questions, the first thing to see is if you can help. Can you help relieve the pain? Well, if so, then do it. Often there are practical things to do when suffering strikes. Take them a meal. Do the shopping. Make a phone call. Check in on a neighbour. Be a listening ear. And stick at your post if you're a worker in a hospital or a supermarket, even though you are scared by the virus. So let's be practical and not just philosophical. And fourthly, and perhaps most importantly, Jesus is calling us to hope. Hope. 
Luke 13 showed us Jesus' power to heal a woman crippled 18 years instantly. And the four Gospels are united in their witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And as such, he had powers over demons, death, disease. Not only that, but authority to forgive sins as well. And the Bible says that when you see his miracles, they're like little foretastes of heaven where there'll be no more crying or mourning and God wipes every tear from our eyes and we won't need the Kleenex tissues that are in short supply right now anymore. The Bible says suffering can produce character and many people testify that it was in the valleys where they grew the most, not the mountaintop. But the Bible never suggests we should enjoy the pain. And it does not say it's wrong to want suffering to stop. And during those times, the example of Job and the prayers of the Psalms tell us it's okay to cry out to God, to tell him how we're feeling, even to tell him how unfair it seems or how lonely we are. Just so long as we turn towards and not away from God in the pain. For he is our only comfort and hope. And you know, sometimes... Even when we pray to avoid suffering, God's will is to allow it. After all, that's what happened to his own son. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, in prayer, asked his father to avoid what was ahead, to avoid the cross if possible. But God chose not to rescue his son from his most painful hours, for our sake. Any discussion of how suffering fits into God's world must not forget the cross. Friend, Jesus knows what it is to suffer more than we can imagine. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Peter explains, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Jesus suffered for our sins that we might finally be released from the effects of our sin, including the suffering and pain it causes. And that is the hope of heaven. Many religions have gods, of course, but only one has a God who cared enough to become a man and to die. The poet and crime writer Dorothy Sayers said, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he has the honesty to take his own medicine. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. So God is not death. He's promised to set things right and that's why his son died. What other worldview prepares you for suffering as well as biblical Christianity?
My conclusion on this topic might seem strange to the modern world. It's the old-fashioned sounding R word, repent. But that is Jesus' conclusion in the face of suffering. Jesus is calling us to repent, to turn back to God. Look back to the beginning of verse 13 and the verses I mainly skipped over so far. He's criticised us if we're too quick to judge others. Instead, he says, disaster is a chance to look at yourself. He's calling to us with his megaphone, not just to think you're better than others. Rather, as Jesus said twice, verse 3, verse 5, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Friends, surely coronavirus shatters the illusion that we scientific humans are in control, let alone masters of our own destiny. We need to give up on our claims of independence or being able to run our own life. And so when you see suffering in this world, Jesus wants you to ask this question. Am I right with God? Or have I been ignoring him? Suffering tells us something's wrong with this world, that sin, our sin has mucked it up. And we need to admit this and turn back to God for forgiveness, each one of us, personally. In Luke 13, the, the middle bit, Jesus says, uh, a good farmer offers a fruitless fig tree one more chance, but he warns that eventually you chop it down if it keeps on failing to fruit. Suffering reminds us of the unpleasant but entirely just truth that we need to turn back to God and bear fruit for him or will fall under final judgment. And so over my years I've thought that one of the most surprising verses in the Bible comes in Psalm 119 verse 67. Before I was afflicted I went astray but now I obey your word. He repeats it in verse 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The Bible says that suffering can even be a good chance to change and grow. Certainly Jesus says suffering is a time to chuck a U-turn in regards to God, turn from rejecting his ways and turn to Christ for forgiveness now, the ultimate healing and hope of heaven. Amen.